0: Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to another episode of Fan Team Radio. I am your host, Shyam Khan, joined as always by my ho- co-host, Chris Odie Odorizzi. Chris, what's up?
1: Yeah, I am. how's it going? Uh, yeah, great day of Formula One. Um, Slightly uneventful, but it was still a good race nonetheless. Uh, You know, Hungary's always a good showing. I wish it had been more of a wet race and seen some more Bottas bowling, but, you know, it is what it is. We got a... uh had a good 70 laps today over a 4.3 kilometer track which is 2.67 miles and um yeah all in all a uh you know it's good to have a lot of formula one in the month of july and um you know that uh that lewis hamilton on pole was quite the sight by uh 0.003 i don't know if you watched the the replay of sort of like the falling between lewis and max Going around the track, and Luke's was actually almost a full car length ahead of Max by the last turn. And I guess he got a little squirrely at that last turn, and he almost lost it, but was able just to eat that little that little margin out and put it on pole. But that was that was kind of awesome to see see that guy happy again. And you know, I know we were kind of hoping for some twenty twenty one fireworks uh, that slowly disappeared. But we got a lot to talk about today. Crazy, uh, a lot of things have happened since just last. Uh, just last race uh, ultimately the big news is Danny Rick is back how do you feel about that
0: yeah I mean you know it's hard to say the writing wasn't on the walls as you can recall we closed our last episode by kind of shit talking DeVries a little bit but you know listen in, in retrospect everyone has their opinion about this a lot of the drivers think that he didn't get the, the the time that he deserved to be able to show out. And then, you know, the, a lot of the fans and, and people on the outside probably had, you know, were scrutinizing the hell out of him. Helm and Marco sided with the latter. And then, you know, they, they don't mince their words at Red Bull and they don't, you know, they kind of stick to their executive orders. And it is what it is, you know, so. Uh yeah, lot to unpack. Uh, let's actually get into that real quick, Chris. So in qualifying, we saw Danny Rick, the kind of anticipated star of this week's show, um, show out a little bit uh, more than than uh, Yuki Sunoda made his way into Q two. Uh, let's talk about Danny Rick a little bit, Chris. What what were your expectations coming into this, and uh, how did he you know perform against them?
1: Yeah, honestly, I wasn't I wasn't quite sure. Um. Danny has been, you know, on both ends of the spectrum. Like he's been, he's a race winner, you know, at Red Bull and he's a superstar of the game demanding high salaries. And, uh, and then, you know, he's kind of been nowhere land, you know, in a McLaren. And so it was one of those things where you got a lot of hype from people like Christian Horner and others saying like, Oh, he was, when he was testing the Red Bull that he was uh, his lap time would have put him on the front row. And I was like, all right, don't get us too hyped up and excited because that's a, that's a big statement. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think he, uh, you know, getting into Q2 and in his first race driving all, arguably the worst car on the grid and outperforming Yuki and then, you know, doing a decent job in the race uh, after the the turn one uh, punt from Joe into him into the Alpines. And uh, in keeping his place, so ultimately, like, yeah, I, I had tempered expectations. Um, because I feel like anything could happen, and I still am not a 100% sure uh, where he's gonna end up in the shuffle, uh, and whether he'll deserve the Red Bull seat again. But yeah, I think ultimately it was a decent, you know, planting of the flag on his debut saying, I'm back in the sport, you know, I'm not as bad as DeVries, although not many are um so yeah i enjoyed uh him back at the sport but ultimately like unless alfatari greatly improves uh or has a massive you know shift which we do know that will have new ownership a new name and a bunch of new uh design philosophies next year um unless he gets that red bull seat if he stays at alfatari we'll have to see whether he'll even have the wheels under him to to compete
0: yeah, I think with Danny, you know, the season was predicated mostly on Max winning and kind of not a whole lot of news other than, you know, who might be vying for that P2, P3 position on any given week. So I think the media kind of hubbub around Danny and adding, you know, adds an extra layer of uh, kind of, I don't know if pressure is the right word to say, but it definitely does add some more spotlight uh, than I thought than I think would have happened if the season was a little bit more competitive on track. But, you know, I think just kind of seeing the decision making that Danny has made since his departure from Red Bull, it hasn't always been the best. You know, some people could argue that he must he should have stayed at Renault um, and try to see that program out since he had, you know, they were on a slightly upward trajectory. Uh, But then, you know, switching to McLaren for that for that money grab, some people would say because he, you know, he wasn't able to perform in that car, especially against Lando Norris. And then, kind of making his way back into, you know, the the Red Bull Racing team uh, by ways of, you know, leaving the sport completely. I think, I think Red Bull did something a little uncharacteristic here by allowing Danny uh, a soft landing of sorts back into, you know, a more uh, dignified kind of exit. Uh, but I heard a lot of. Thoughts on Danny, you know, joining Alpha Tori only to be able to find himself a seat at Red Bull. Uh, and that's the only reason he did it, right? Like, like Alpha Tori isn't his future plan. Uh, it's it's definitely something that's interim that he needs to he's gonna work as a as a springboard into into the Red Bull team. Uh the concern is that Checo, even though he has some heat on him, he isn't doing that bad right and it it becomes even more complex when you see there there's a whole stable of drivers in the red bull junior you know academy liam lawson being the 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 front runner for that pack and how Helmut marco and and i think christian horner both agreed that they didn't want to put liam into a situation that was uh, gonna set him up for, for for failure whereas you know danny ricardo has some you know scars on him you know he has the pedigree to be able to drive but then is now in a in a relatively subdued position uh where he could either a you know have a stellar season and 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 make his way into the driver 2 position at Red Bull or he could kind of pedal where he is keep getting these like p10 p11s you know uh, kind of placing just barely enough to beat Yuki it kind of leaves Red Bull in a similar position. Like, what do we do with these two drivers if Danny and Yuki are just going to be competing in a very similar stance, with Danny doing probably slightly better? It might let you know that Yuki is not probably the the driver to put into Red Bull, but I don't think it leaves them in any posi- in any kind of uh, solidified position to make a next, you know, decision on who's going to, you know, quote unquote take over Checo's seat. Right now it seems like Checo still has the best hand on that seat out of all available drivers. Um, so so I'll see. I, I think there's still a lot that's left to be seen from Danny Ricardo. Although today's uh, you know, today and for qualifying, you know, him outdoing Yuki and both fronts. Uh it does, you know, I'm gonna there there is some merit there, I think. But I am gonna need to see it out a little bit more uh to really m- make a decision one way or another whether he's gonna be the Red Bull to uh, driver or if it's going to be he's just going to ride out the rest of his career in, in AlphaTauri as a more of a mentor
1: yeah it's just the second seat at Red Bull was so weird to me because it's like the one seat that you can definitively say is not capable of being a first driver like like Max is as much of a, like a leader on that team as anybody else in the system now I'm sure if Max like all of a sudden randomly started performing awfully, which is you know not realistic that you know something would change, but Max is a really long-term contract, he's the highest paid driver in the sport. And like you you have to go into that seat knowing that that's it. So and so in one instance you're like, you know, these guys don't aren't up to the caliber of Max, so they don't deserve to be in the Red Bull seat. But that's what they want. Like they want someone that's can consistently finish on the podium or constantly getting points. But they don't want someone who's gonna. I don't think they want a Hamilton, uh, Rossberg situation where they're like taking each other out and they're fighting for wins and, uh, you know, putting the championship away from Max. But so I don't know. Like I, like you said, I think Checo's gonna stay in that seat. I think Christian's already said that he's going to be in that seat next year. Uh, of course, he did sign that two-year extension at Monaco last year. So, you know, they would have to buy out his contract or whatever. So, I I always imagine Cheka would stay through the end of next year. But, unless something crazy happened. So, I just don't know, like, you know, is Danny going to stay at Alphitore next year? Is he going to leave again the sport if he doesn't get the Red Bull seat? We'll see. But, ultimately, you know, it's one race in. You know, even Nick had a great race at Mondo last year, so we'll see if Ricardo can improve uh, and continually beat Sonoda race after race. Uh, But ultimately, you know, I'm not sure um, where his future lies, but we'll see. But...
0: I think you make a good point there, Chris. One thing I just want to expand on a little bit is Red Bull's tendency to have, you know, uh, these D2 drivers that, that that, you know you need to find the right profile of a d2 driver to fit in that red bull seat knowing that max is going to be the the leading contender for them for the next x many years right i think that works either with you know someone like uh, someone like a Checo, maybe that that is okay with getting these like P twos knowing that they're not gonna get in a P one position. But it you know, it kinda reminds me of Tal Nights, Knights, the relationship between Ricky and and Cal Naughton and how even though they, you know, Cal was okay with getting P two and and helping his buddy out, there was a certain point where he's like, Hey man, like it'd be nice if I could just win once, right? And then you know, Ricky's like, Well, Cal, if if you win, how, how am I gonna win? <laughs> yeah, so so there it's, yeah. it's 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 a funny, but I think it's a, it strikes a really true position with a lot of these drivers like you're right if you're meant like if you're Charle leclerc going into uh, a d2 spot it's just not going to be a good fit there's going to i mean it looks great on paper but it's just going to be head all the way along i think danny has now kind of gotten grounded down into a position where he really doesn't have any other choice but to humbly take the d2 position at red bull if it's give it you know if it's there for his taking i think what really would help red bull in this situation is to have someone young that's like like almost like a george russell that that kind of came through the ranks in their program and that's gonna be okay with taking a back seat to max and learning from him having the natural talent kind of like a you know like a what the piastri situation is rolling out like in and in, in mclaren and then you know you know that way max can perform to the absolute you know abilities and 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 be okay with the team doesn't have to deal with two different drivers that are kind of butting heads and trying to get that d1 spot but then you also have a driver pipeline that you're developing thoroughly and you you know you have some 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 uh some credence and fortified you know pipelines for for young drivers to come through your program right now i think they broke that pipeline a bit with this uh yuki Sonoda, you know danny rick kind of snafu where where they're kind of like it's all, its almost like a bottleneck right now. So, and it's kind of keeping these other guys. I think they had a situation in, in years past with with like Daniel Kiviad and then obviously with Alex Albon and and Pierre, uh, where they brought them in, you know, let them drive out a little bit, and then immediately kick them out. You know, it seemed like they had a a fortune of riches in terms of their driver pipeline, and I think it's thinned out quite a bit now uh, because they haven't really kept it up and, and, and kept that pipeline flowing. So uh, I don't know. I think, I think Red Bull's junior Academy also needs to kind of maybe get another uh, uplift in terms of how they're going to like get them from that junior Academy through their program into, you know, the formula one seats. Cause at the end of the day, they are, you know, they're sponsoring these, these guys for a lot of money. Uh, so I would think that they would keep an eye on, on getting drivers through that pipeline and and like they've done in the past with, you know, with Carlos Sainz and with Max and, you know, they, they had a really good track record of doing that. But I think in, in, in recent years, that's kind of fell to the wayside.
1: Yeah, it's just one of those things. I think it's been hard for them because Max is so young when he started and he's so dominant now. I mean, I forget what year in the sport he is, like year seven or whatever it is. But yeah, they, they picked him up when he was 17. Yeah, he's only 24, or 25 now. And he's got a long future ahead of him. And so it's one of those things that it's like you don't have to think about. And, you know, they could delete Sergio's records from this year, and Max would be winning drivers and constructors on his own. So it's one of those things that, you know, you don't want that, you know, D1 competitor driver against Max. And so you you take from these veterans, and like you said, it's hurting their junior program. But it's not like they have to be thinking about, you know Max's replacement just quite yet, so it's kind of a hard solution to solve. But hey, man, Valtteri Bottas is always available, the best D2 driver in the sport. Put him in the seat; he'll win some races. But
0: you we- might just throw that sucker in reverse and, and <laughs> drive drive backwards. I don't know. Hey, man the
1: the mullet the mullet would carry him around the track on a, on their own. So his uh,
0: attitude is so in. In contrast to Red Bull, that it'd actually be the funniest drive to survive paddock, uh, probably ever. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's talk about another D1 driver, uh, Hamilton. Um, after that quality performance, man, I was off my seat screaming, going crazy for the start, and by turn three, he was in fourth. What happened to him?
0: Yeah, I mean, the car obviously did not come off the line as fast as he had no grip on the uh and also uh, hats off to piastri and and, and norris for taking that inside line which is not the typical racing line for for hungary is is where is on actually on the outside where, where lewis started so he actually had the most ideal position but he did not have any grip coming off that off the line he you know he conceded the inside to, uh, to Lando and to Oscar. So yeah, just, just a really sloppy, you know, start of the race. He was trying to make up a lot of pace for it near the end. Um, he was on hard the entire time. He was gaining on, uh, Piastri overtook him at a certain point when Piastri boxed. Uh, and then, you know, had Checo on his backside after Checo boxed for like a a, a ridiculous 1.9 second pit stop, stupid, um, and then you know, obviously, Checo caught up to him. And then th- I think Lewis would have had a chance if they took him off the hards earlier than waiting until lap fifty, because uh, he, you know, he made some pace back at the end and almost was probably like half a lap to a full lap from gaining on on uh, Perez before the the race ended. So. It's hard. Uh, this this you know. Th- there's definitely a chance to get podium um, this week for Lewis uh, if the strategist were to pull him maybe a little bit earlier into the box to get on mediums. Uh, he definitely would have been able to kind of catch up to Checo or at least made it super duper interesting near the end uh, with one more DRS zone. But yeah, it was it was a tough race to watch for for Lewis. This week I was super hyped on him getting P1 in in qualifying, but then only to see George, I think in P18 for qualifying, which was uh, you know it it was a when it all nets out for Mercedes it's was, it was a fairly average week um, with with high up you know high upside in the beginning, but then you know it, it just it, probably a weekend to forget for Mercedes.
1: Yeah, I mean. This was the one time, although we could talk about it a little more. But I want to see, you know, Max continue to break records just because this doesn't happen very often. But this was the one race where I was sort of like, eh. If Hamilton, you know, contacts if there's a little contact and you know spins Hamilton or Verstappen out turn one, or you know maybe gives him a little damage or whatever, like it is. It was the one race where I was just ready to watch like Hamilton versus McLaren like for for the win and wanted to see that all of again. But within three turns we were back to max off into the sunset. And um, you know, there was some decent racing, like you said, at the end there. And I think Hamilton would have eventually overtaken Perez. Uh he had a lot more pace at the end. Was I think in the last three laps, he was taking a second off of Perez, which is uh kind of crazy per lap. So Uh, That would have been nice to see Hamilton back on the podium, but we know the pace is there. We know McLaren now uh, definitively has the pace. They've proven it back to back races, both. um, The one thing I didn't know until after the race from a tweet was that Oscar actually had damage on his car. Um, They weren't exactly sure where it came from. They think maybe a curb strike or whatever. And I think that's why his pace suffered so much and why, um, Checo and Hamilton were able to sort of catch him and pass him when the same wasn't true for Norris. So, you know, that's why I think, you know, Piastri has shown up uh, fantastically ever since he's gotten those upgrades and proven to be uh, the right decision by McLaren to push for that guy. But yeah, ultimately kind of a, like you said, a day to forget for uh, Mercedes, but ultimately I think, there's a lot of positives to take from these back-to-back races that we're going to have a Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes kind of mix up it there. And because of Sergio not being on Max's level, you know, maybe a single Red Bull in that mix of fighting around too. So hopefully the last uh, few races of the season will shake things up even more. Maybe Aston will bring some upgrades and we'll get a little bit of uh, back and forth from Alonso as well. But yeah, it was a it was a decent race overall. Uh, I would like to see Yeah.
0: I I mean, I think I think Piastri held his own on this um this race. I think he's been sh- showing sign, I mean, definitely showing signs of improvement but also showing signs that the car itself is um is a uh, is stable. Uh the car is stable, the drivers are performing to to its liking, and then the pit crew is also performing as a uh, Pretty pretty seamlessly, they were able to deliver a two point a uh, second pit stop for Piastri uh, where him and where look where him and Lando were both in the in the pits. and then Lando was able to kind of just come right out in front of uh, Piastri, which I thought was an incredible part of the of the race. It uh, had it not been for the one point nine second marker that uh, Red Bull set, I think that 2.0 second marker for Piastri was the best pit stop of the of the race uh and then Piastri defends himself against Checo as Checo tries to overtake him in lap 47. Piastri did go off the uh you know as uh, trying to defend aggressively did go off the the track a little bit into gravel so I'm curious if that's the the damage that 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 you're referring to Chris or as maybe it was earlier in the race um but he he had a great race It, it shows it shows that the other side of what the DeVries reputation was, right? DeVries had a reputation of being like a Formula E champion. Was he was he a Formula Two champion, Chris? Or uh
1: Formula Three? Uh Piastri? Uh Nick DeVries. Yeah, DeVries won a Formula E. I think he won Formula Two as well. Um, I don't yeah. I, yeah.
0: So so his his, you know, he had like, I guess, a pedigree of winning and 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 that. That reputation probably is what got him his seat, as well as that, 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 uh, that, uh, the, 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 the race last year where he was able to come in for Williams. But when I'm thinking about Piastri and kind of how he has been winning in all of his, uh, pre formula races, you know, it, it, it did give me a little bit of cause for concern is like, you know, is he going to have the same kind of outcome as Nick? Uh, especially when he was like kind of not in a great looking McLaren earlier in the year when they just weren't hitting the performance marks, you know, it was hard to tell if Piastri was going to be a dud, just like Nick was, even though they have a, a stellar background and in, in winning in other formula series. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, Piastri is really showing that he's, you know, he's a legitimate racer in F1. He has the, he has what it takes. I mean, I also liked uh, in, in one part of the race is um, I think, his race engineer reached out to him. He's like, Hey, did did you know, did Checo like bump you or anything like that? And Piastri was like, No, he didn't really give me any leave me any space, but you know, and he left it at that. He didn't complain, he didn't do anything. So so I guess it also kind of shows the the level of maturity he's already at, I guess, mentally as as a driver and how he kind of reacts to stressful situations or situations where others might have felt like they've been done wrong. Um, So yeah, all all around great race for Piastri, uh, good, good looks for, for McLaren. And, um, and I think it's, it's more than just Piastri and Norris. I think the pits, the pit crew uh, is doing everything right. I think the engineers are doing everything right. I think Zach Brown uh, should probably, you know, take a little bit of uh credit for for all this and so i i you know at least i bagged on him quite a bit early on in the season uh but yeah they've they've really turned the ship around it seems like and um they'll probably be in that p2 position if mercedes can't uh get some of these uh details kind of smoothened out on their end i I can definitely see it being red bull one mclaren two mercedes three in the in the second half of this season um that's not to say I think that Mercedes will catch up in the constructors' points. I think there's too much of a delta there, uh, and I don't think Mercedes is gonna let the ball f- let the bag fall out underneath them. Uh, but in terms of just how the second half of the season is gonna go, I I, I don't think it's uh, unfair to think that McLaren is gonna pull out some some P2s consistently.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the third spot in the constructors' championship is probably their goal at least getting to, to that fourth spot and taking Ferrari down. But I definitely think if Aston keeps performing the way that they are and we keep seeing uh podiums from McLaren that they could indeed take over that that top three spot. Like you said, I think the Delta is too big for Mercedes, plus Mercedes keeps putting up solid performances as well. But you know, ultimately McLaren seems to be back. And like you said, kudos to Zach Brown. We both ragged on him pretty hard. In the beginning of the year, like you know, we had the silly Chrome Chrome logos everywhere, tons of sponsors, and the car was shit. The you know, um, even though they had decently good drivers, they weren't performing, and so it was one of those things like, what's going on? Uh, But hats off, hats off, man! They uh, they built a good car. Now they have a good, uh, probably one of the best driver pairings on the grid, and um, it's going to be fun to watch them back.
0: Yeah, I mean, this I think is a good setup for a team that's completely opposite of them right now, but we're fighting for them preseason. Let's talk about Alpine real quick, Chris. Um you know, terrible race for them right off the get-go. Uh, you know, Joe Gun runs into uh back of Danny Ricardo. Danny Ricardo runs right into I believe it's I, I think it was Pierre Gasly, and then Pierre Gasly <laughs> runs into Ocon. And then both the Alpine spin out and and then are immediately declared out for the race. Uh, this is this all happens before lap three. So <laughs> uh, let, let's let's walk through this, Chris. So last year, Alpine is in contention against Aston Martin and against McLaren for that P three position, uh, P four position. Sorry, uh, with with the. Uh, you know, w- with the thought that uh, that Mercedes and Ferrari were going to be in P two, um, they lose their stud, you know, rookie that they've been backing for years in Oscar Piastri, uh, and Otmar is able to fill that in with Pierre Gasly, who I thought at the time was not, you know, I thought it was a pretty good pickup given what they lost. Um, you know, Ocon comes in this year, gets uh, gets one podium. Uh, But then everything surrounding that has been kind of crippling. Um, And then, you know, I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more about Laurent Rossi there and and him stepping away. But what, in a nutshell, you know, do you think this race, Chris, is indicative of Alpine season? Do you think it's just a string of bad luck that they'll get over? Do you think Otmar is, you know, is he, is he now, you know, on the hook for any of this? What's your overall thought process about Alpine currently and and do you think that they have room for for improving at the second half of the year?
1: Yeah, Alpine's a difficult one because, you know, both of their drivers are what I would call solid drivers, but not anything above that. I mean, both of them have occasionally, you know, had a podium or a race win. Uh, in their careers, but uh, I wouldn't call them, you know, either one of them at like a D one. They're both kind of a just a solid driver, can get the car around the track, and that's how I kind of feel about the team as well. Like they're kind of a little all over the place. Um, I, I'm not sure how I feel about Otmar. His his persona on Drive to Survive kind of threw me off a little bit. He kind of seems like a squirrely guy, but I just don't feel like they have all their ducks in a row. I don't feel like they have everything figured out, and I think that's, you know, apparent with this leadership change that they have, uh, with Laurent going out and a new leader coming in. And I think they're just always trying to change the pieces around to sort of solve the puzzle. Um, and I feel like they just need to like step back, create a long term plan, and execute on that. Like put somebody in charge that can. Organize the pieces, pick pick all the right people, put them in place, um, and start performing. They've always had a solid, a decent car. Like, you know, Alonzo was able to do some amazing things in that car. Obviously, Ocon won a race in that car. And um, you know, there was a couple of the botas bowling took a bunch of people out in that race, but and Alonzo defended Hamilton like a, you know, a madman, but still is a race winner and But yeah, it's just like today wasn't their fault. But at the same time, like they always seem to be kind of finding themselves in this situation uh, because they're kind of in the middle of the pack, which is a dangerous place to be at the start. Um, I just don't know how I feel about them. I I think they're going to kind of stay where they are uh, for the rest of the season. And I don't know. I don't know what their plans will be for next year, but I feel like they're going to make a big change.
0: Yeah, I think kind of stepping a little bit back to that point I was making earlier about what a ideal D2 driver looks like for the Red Bull seat. It's either someone who's really young in their pipeline with a lot of talent that they're going to be able to groom uh, and, and and someone that could back up max while he's being groomed uh, to take over the D1 uh, role, or it's someone who is a default D2 driver with some talent that, is going to be in a better position as a D2 driver at Red Bull than they'd be as a D1 driver anywhere else. And I think Gasly and Ocon both fit that bill. I think what you had mentioned about them, not either of them not being a D1 driver is completely correct. I don't see either of them carrying a team to a championship uh, but I definitely see them being able to collect a lot of points and being able to defend really well for someone like a Max Verstappen or, or or Charles Leclerc, right? I think if you put, I think Esteban has a higher likeliness of staying with the team than Pierre does. If 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 hypothetically if they were to kind of split the team up, um, I think they they really rally around uh Esteban uh, at at Alpine, um. So, so I can see him staying there for for a couple more years while they figure their their stuff out. But they're looking for you know results rather quickly. Um. So, you know, news this this past week was that Rossi uh, stepped down from the 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 CEO role at Alpine um, and is now going to focus on special projects for the Renault Group. Um, and he's going to be replaced by uh, by Bruno Famine. Talk to me a little bit about Bruno. What's, what's his background like, and why do you think that this is either going to be a good or bad decision forward for Alpine?
1: Um, I don't know too much about Bruno, honestly. Uh, but hopefully, you know, <laughs> the obvious joke is that hopefully Bruno Famine will get them out of their famine, like the um. Yeah, I mean, I think a leadership change is necessary. I know there's been some contention um out there with Laurent Rossi and uh kind of the way he's been leading the team, but I definitely think that um they do need this change. So, hopefully they they're picking the right guy. Um yeah, I don't know his background too much, but um yeah, I think I think he was involved with the team uh in his, in the engine program.
0: Yeah. So before coming to uh, Alpine, you know, he, you know, he helped win Le Mans, the 908 project uh, at Pike's peak in 2013 with the Sebastian Loeb. Um, he was, you know, he helped win three Dakar races between 2016 and 2018 uh, and the 2015 world rally car championship. And then, you know, in 2019, he became director of operations for the FIA. So the man knows, you know, racing and, and, and various aspects of, of the sport, um, he has a you know, Joe's Capito had a f- fairly similar, um, kind of rally car racing uh background as well. So, I don't know if the tra- if they transfer over completely well into F1, you know, is left to be seen. He definitely knows more than someone off the streets, right? But, uh, I think th- they needed something to happen, and I think Lauren Rossi had a little bit of heat on him after kind of uh dispelling the team publicly. Uh, I just don't think that was a great move and it probably left a, a bad taste with the board. Uh, and this is me speculating, but usually when moves like this happen at a corporate level, it's because board members are not entirely happy, but they see the value in having someone like Lauren Rossi as a CEO from a business perspective. Uh, I think having someone that's a little bit more race focused, like Bruno looks like he is, uh, you know, is going to be maybe the shakeup that they need uh, to be able to kind of get that car and the driver in sync to a point where they can start looking more like a Aston Martin or a McLaren. I still think there's a lot of meat on the bones for Alpine. I think they have a lot of good infrastructure. They have a lot of t- people on the team that seem like they can deliver a really good car. I don't think the car is where the problem is. I think it's these <clears throat> these driving issues that they keep running into. Uh, especially, you know, uh, I think Pierre still has a bit of a hot head when it comes to driving. Definitely, uh, as 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 an F one driver, or maybe not as, as as hot as Yuki, uh, but you know, as we saw last week when uh, him and Stroll went ha- head to head a little bit, uh, Pierre's reaction to that, and I think it's a matter of time before you know something happens between Esteban and Pierre that it just kind of starts f- flaring up. Uh, old uh, you know, old bad you know kind of uh feelings towards each other so i can see it going down that way or i could see it where bruno comes in week or two later the team's performing really great they're you know they're going into p6 p7 and consistently getting points i think that's like the best case scenario for alpine in the second half of this season is getting some p10 plus you know positions consistently Uh, given the car that they have, but yeah, uh, ugly week for them this week. Can't really blame either of the drivers, given that, you know, it wasn't, it was kind of set off by a chain of events that that was outside of their control. But, you know, if this was something that was the only race where they collapsed this season, then it might be forgivable, but in the in the scope of this whole season where they've been really underperforming and having some, you know, flashes in the pan, but not really, um it's it's uh you know it's it's a bit of a cause for concern for alpine especially seeing that mclaren and aston martin has kind of outpaced them
1: yeah totally agree on all fronts we'll see what happens uh with alpine like you said today was kind of not their fault but um we'll see if the shake up like you said i don't think the problem is the car but uh they definitely need to get some things a little bit more right um And we'll see what happens with Mr. Otmar.
0: We shall see. So let us talk about our winners and losers in hot seat. Um, Who you got for your winners this week, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, a a big winner from this week is McLaren. Like a lot of talk from them last race, Silverstone. If uh, that was sort of a flash in the pan, if their upgrades actually worked, if it was sort of a one-off with the right conditions on the track, temperatures, tired egg and all that but they they kind of proved it they proved that they're back lando back-to-back podiums first time in his career and you know piastri if he didn't have that little bit of damage wherever he got it from you know maybe could have been a double podium and i think we're gonna see uh consistently them more at the front of the pack and so i definitely think mclaren has um kind of pulled off the aston martin effect from the beginning of the year which was Coming straight out of the game. I and mean, McLaren was basically nowhere at the start of the season, and then all of a sudden, bring one set of upgrades and boom, they're almost there with Red Bull. Not quite, because Max won this race by like thirty three seconds, but you know, still they they have a good car under them, and um, so I think this huge confident boost from the entire organization. Um, uh, good pit stops today too, so I think they kind of have, they're checking all those boxes uh, and they're going to be a big contender for next year. So, yeah, McLaren was a good one. And then, you know, Red Bull, uh, you know, it's it's just kind of a given that they're kind of on the winner's list, but just wanted to highlight the fact that they broke the record for most consecutive wins as a team, 12 wins for Red Bull. Um, no, No team has done that. And, you know, Max is well on his way uh tied for the most number of wins uh in second with i think uh schumacher Rosberg. um i forget the other two i think senna can't remember the the fourth but and then you know the only person in sight ahead of him is sebastian vettel's nine win streak which as long as no uh reliability things or uh crash happens i don't foresee max uh losing any races. So uh, I think he's gonna hit that nine and potentially go to 10 or, or beyond, uh, which will then very likely be an unbeatable record.
0: Yeah, I think um, you know, I'm right there with you with McLaren. They picked up 28 points between Lando and Oscar today. Uh just an, an super impressive race. Um, you know, at the start of the year, if you can if you remember Zach Brown talking about how they didn't meet their performance metrics. And they kind of took it back to the lab and really made, um, uh, I don't want to say a risky investment, but it was definitely something that we didn't come to see, you know, uh, until this past two weeks. And especially when Norris first got his um, upgrades before Piastri did. You know, I think that's one of the fun things about F1 is that, you sometimes got to take them for their word for a little while. Like if they said that they do have upgrades coming, and the, the the excitement of what an upgrade can do is, I think, a, as someone that you know again is trying to appreciate F one for what it is, is the engineering sport, and and you want to you know you want to find the com- most competitive races, or you know you know you don't want to see teams running away with it all the time. I think these package up upgrades and the the promise of them is something that's really exciting. Right. So, and you can see it kind of just on display here with McLaren, especially. And then uh, earlier on the season with Aston Martin and like the rate of development this year has been incredibly uh, fun to watch, you know, and it allows you to kind of appreciate uh, everyone outside of uh, Max's dominance. So uh, yeah, I think McLaren had a really great race. Uh, I think Oscar is really showing himself out. Uh, to be uh, to be a mature driver, to be kind of the, the one of those like George Russell esque like drivers, um, and and yeah, I think the 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 future of McLaren is looking pretty solid with those two on their on their roster. Um, I'll also say you know Red Bull is just firing on all cylinders right now. That pit that pit stop, one point nine seconds. I I I think that is the most impressive thing I saw all race. Uh, you know. Uh, the, the the inside move that Piastri made off the get go to get inside of Lewis coming out of the the um, turn one and then that 1.9 second pit stop that that Red Bull did. So I think both teams are firing on 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 as many cylinders as they can right now. So incredibly excited to see uh, this become a, a tighter race uh, near the P2 P3 P4 uh, kind of scope. Let's talk about losers Chris. Uh obviously we talked about Alpine uh at, at some length. Um who who else do you have for losers? I I think Leclerc having that 5 second penalty in the pits today kind of put him in my little loser bracket. Um but but I'm curious to hear what what you're thinking about Ferrari.
1: Yeah yeah I mean that I I I read up on that 5 second penalty and it's one of those gray areas for me that it's like I'm uh I'm you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna speak against it because we talked a lot about in the beginning of the season about following rules and the FAI being more consistent, which we haven't had to talk about in a while, which is good because they have been very strict about track limits and things like that. But then you then you see something like this with this five second penalty with four point seven kilometers an hour over the speed limit, and you're like okay is there any kind of degree of variance in there where it could be wrong uh you know for under 1 kilometer an hour uh but you know rules are rules and uh uh 5 seconds seems harsh for something like that i wish they were able to you know dish out like 1 second or 2 second penalties for things that kind of maybe warrant it 5 seconds is a lot for you know how how much time are you gaining for going less than a kilometer above but like we said, rules of rules and um it's just an unfortunate day for LeClerc. He had that nine point one, I believe, the opposite of Red Bull's pit stop. He had a he had a nine second pit stop and then the penalty and the and there was that moment on the team radio where he was just completely frustrated with his engineers, with the strategy again. And I read a comment online that said because his uh his calm his like radio was like very muffled hard to understand <laughs> and they were like they totally had no idea what he was saying and were just giving generic ferrari responses to like make it sound like they were like we are checking yes we get it we understand and it's like i couldn't even understand what charles was saying so hey, I, charles
0: I what about plan, seven? <laughs> plan charles, seven
1: plan plan sierra yeah let's go so yeah it's just one of those things that i just feel bad for the guy um but, you know, ultimately, Ferrari's Ferrari. And I'm guessing when you're in Ferrari, you're going to always hang on to that hope that you're going to have that Schumacher-era-esque car and you can just dominate. Um, but hopefully, I love Charles so much, I hope hope he can get out of this bad luck streak. But it just sort of keeps happening to him. So I agree with him on the losers. Um, you know, I don't know if you saw the uh, the podium ceremony But I got Max's trophy on there. I mean, oh yeah, Lando. Lando, I think he did that
0: on purpose. I think I, I, I dead ass think he did that on
1: purpose. It's it's possible, but um, I don't know if you saw the stats on those trophies. But my God, those things—they say it takes six months for those trophies to get made because they're handmade, and they cost forty thousand euros each. Which I was just like, if you know. If you're one of the people that made those and you're watching the ceremony and you're like telling your family I made that and all of a sudden you see this young kid smash his champagne on the ground and uh topple the trophy over and break it. But you know, it seems like the team took it in stride. They they were taking pictures of it because they broke all the records today. They were like the record breaking trophy, which was uh It's probably kind of... if
0: they if they've sutured that thing together with some like Elmer's glue, it'd probably be worth more money than any of those like Trophies given out of Hungary ever.
1: It's like, it's like that Banksy, uh, yeah. the Banksy print where they like shredded it live at the auction house as soon yeah, as it, it somehow
0: qu- like quintupled in value,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, uh, sad day for the trophy and in that value of it, but all in all, uh, was a fun moment to, to watch and watch everybody at least be happy about it, but yeah, uh, Alpine terrible day, um leclerc ferrari constantly um but yeah who's uh who's on your hot seat today
0: um so hot seat you know i i wouldn't i probably put it more in my losers panel than hot seat but definitely towing that line yuki Sonoda, you know coming in at p15 behind daniel uh it, it really is his worst case scenario this week is not being able to get into q2 even in, in qualifying which daniel did and then you know coming behind Daniel in P15, Chris, I think you mentioned earlier or, or not about Daniel, you know being caught up uh, in that in the, in the potential Zoguan Yu crash early on, and then making his way back into to P13. So really great drive from him, all things considered. And even with that, Yuki, you know, was two spots behind him. Um, like I mentioned, a lot of people talking about already a big reason. One of the reasons, you know, to bring Daniel into to AlphaTauri was to have a more um, confident benchmark against, uh, you know, Yuki's performance since Nick just wasn't really... Uh, any kind of benchmark um, so I think now that they have a solid benchmark that they feel comfortable kind of assessing Yuki against and Yuki's progress I think this was a really tough look for Yuki to come in two places behind Daniel and then also under qualifying when it came to qual when it came to qualifying um, so I think I would put Yuki in that not the hot seat just yet but I definitely think he's he's making his way there if this continues um, you know I have Logan Sargent spinning out on lap sixty eight, just kind of the bag just fell from under him. It he has some maturing to do, but since Albon is doing some really great stuff with that car, um, you know, I think it's it's softening uh, Logan's rookie season a little bit more. Uh, but hot seat for sure. I'm gonna put Otmar, um on my hot seat this week. Uh, listen, I, I understand that today. The snafu that happened with uh, with Alpine isn't Otmar's fault, but as you can see, the CEO has been replaced. Uh, there's only one other layer of leadership, you know, and that's 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 Otmar that that they can that the board can take a look at next. Uh, and and I think what you mentioned about him kind of having that the demeanor was a little bit more laissez-faire. I think is showing uh, its weaknesses now, uh, especially when the two teams that you're supposed to be up against mclaren and aston martin has made strides in their development uh and they really even with all of the the bad luck stuff that could happen even with lance stroll remember breaking his 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 wrist they're still able to get performance and and points out of those out of their cars uh i think otmar is going to be uh the, the scapegoat for uh for alpine season if it goes sideways just like he'd be you know the savior if they're able to kind of get themselves out of this this muck um so i put omar in my hot seat this week uh not because of anything that he did directly but uh, maybe because of the things that he's not doing behind the scenes
1: yeah totally agree i mean whenever you have a big leadership change at the top the first thing that that leadership usually is going to do is change the leadership under him um if anything just because that wasn't his pick It wasn't by their design. And so they're going to want to say, who do I want to, to lead the team? And I think Omar is on his last legs unless Alpine finds a way to come, uh, glaring out the last part of this year. Um, I definitely think he's, uh, going to be gone at the end of the season, uh, just from a sheer, like making changes and shaking his up standpoint, um, because he the performance hasn't been there in the past. And like you said, he's gonna be that scapegoat. Um for my hot seat, I got <clears throat> I got Logan Sargent just because with Nick DeVries gone and with Oscar Piastri performing so well, all the spotlight is massively on him as this rookie and what he's capable of. You have one rookie that performs so poorly that they were kicked out midseason, one rookie that uh is almost making podiums and then there you go with uh Logan Sargent, basically kind of in nowhere land and uh, you know, retiring the car at the end of the race after a spin out with seemingly no reason other than just, you know, don't put another <laughs> lap on the car. Um, and then, you know, he, he qualifies P 20. So the spotlight is basically on him to say like, are you improving? Cause you know, you got your, your Alex Albon who's, Continually doing uh, decently well in that car, putting it out there, almost getting points in every race. He finished P eleven today, and you know Logan great in qualifying, of, yeah, great in qualifying. And then um, you know I I fully understand not being on an Oscar Piastri's level, but it doesn't seem like the improvement race after race is happening. It doesn't seem like he's getting a feel for the car. Uh, you know, occasionally fighting for points and stuff like that. He's just kind of in that bottom of the pack, can't really improve. So I think the spotlight is on him to sort of show the team that he is the right driver for next year. I know James Fowles has, like, encouraged him on social and saying, like, good job and stuff like that. So I'm curious whether he'll retain his seat next year just out of default and see and give that rookie, like, a two-year trial period. Um, but I definitely think he needs to start performing. Otherwise, he's gonna be out. And then I just wanted to highlight K Mag a little bit because I feel like just he's just
0: a- one thing on just one thing on on Logan Chris. I think you make a good point. Um, I was listening to uh to the ESPN F1 show Unlapped a few weeks ago, and uh, their host Katie George made a really good point that I I don't think hasn't you know been been said enough about. Logan Sargent is the American driver, right? You know, when he was first taken on, it was with his big promise of having an American market that he can, you know, that we can market him to and, and have him be. So even if he didn't perform, uh, you know, to the, to the stellar degree that, that uh, Piastri is, at least he'd have some sort of backing as America's driver, you know? He's not really anywhere on social media. He's he's not really hyping that that part up about him, right? That that it's almost in in essence, Danny Ricardo is still our American driver. You know, we don't really consider Logan Sargent as our only American driver. And I think there's a part of F1 where likability matters a lot. You know, like even let's take Danny Ricardo out of it. Even Nico Hulkenberg is fairly likable, you know, they, they keep bringing him back. He's a good driver. You know, he went Ken blonde for, for this week. Like he's a, you know, there is a piece of likability that has to factor into uh, an F1 driver. I think is a big reason why Nick DeVries was easily able to be kind of let go. Red Bull probably also, I mean, and this is again, me speculating, Red Bull probably saw that he wasn't really helping anywhere in marketing. People weren't really gravitating towards him, you know? So when he had a rough season, you know, it, it was even more amplified by the fact that people just didn't really like him. And Logan, I think, is that it's not that people don't like him or or, 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 or have a distaste for him. It's just people don't really even know him, you know, and, it, and if he's supposed to be the American driver here, you know, why is he not, you know, on campaigns going around the U.S.? Like, why are they not bolstering him up more? Right. So I think, you know, there's the piece where Logan is just not performing on track. You know, it's his rookie season, so I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway, but at least start building up that campaign around him that that supports kind of this this the brand of Logan Sargent and the American kind of like driver, right? Uh, there's not even that going on, so I wanted to throw that in there. You know, I think it's a good point to make given how closely marketability and 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 performance and it's all tied into a team either keeping or the decision-making process behind a team, keeping or letting go of a driver.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point. You either need to be uh, marketable, very likable, or you need to be good um, in order to sort of like stay in the sport and be noticed and be out there. And like you said, yeah, the only time I remember that Logan Sargent is on the track is, you know, when they cut to him after he, like getting out of the race, yeah. Um, he's completely kind of in nowhere land and um, yeah that I wanted to bring that point up about K-Mag too I mean the guy just had uh, another kid and he always seems to be kind of in the back and it's been publicly that they're you know keeping Nico or they're interested in resigning Nico I can't remember if they have or not but that you know K-Mag hasn't been yet or they're maybe contemplating getting rid of him and so I think you know Kevin didn't have a seat, um, and then was randomly back in the sport last minute, um, and it's just one of those things where it just doesn't feel like he's kind of uh has that like determination, uh, that drive, that fire, because like Nico continually outperforms him in qualifying, um, so we'll see what happens with K mag but it kind of sounds like this might be his last year in the sport, um, as well. So just putting him on the hot seat to say like. I uh, think he's uh reaching the end of his life just um but yeah definitely think um if you're kind of in that back of the pack you need to start trying to make improvements at least showing that that initiative that effort to want to improve so uh yeah we'll see what happens with uh with Logan with Kmeg um yeah. before we no, uh
0: hey, anyone else on the hot seat for you Chris
1: uh yeah no those are my hot seats i think um
0: I think I want to put one more person on my hot seat. So I think Nick DeVries, again, on my hot seat for this week, just, you know, I don't even know if he's handling retirement properly. Uh, <laughs> there is <was> a video <laughs> where he pretty much bagged on himself. Uh, and I encourage everyone that hasn't seen it yet to go watch it. It's a uh, authority, one of those marketing like snippets on uh, on Twitter or Instagram that they post where Nick DeVries, where, I, you know, Yuki's sitting in the back on the couch with his full Alphatorre gear on, and Nick is, like, in his just, like I guess, like, plain clothes trying to, like, throw the... the oh, I saw that. On. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it wouldn't stick, so he just walks off screen. Probably my most favorite Nick DeVries moment of all time. So if you haven't seen it yet, go look it up. He's bagging himself. Nick DeBrise on my hot seat one more time.
1: <laughs> did you? Did you? By the way, did you see that uh, Toto Wolf basically came out and said like, "I'll put Nick back on a uh, uh, a reserve driver spot." Like Toto's just out there collecting, you know, oh, medi- all the all the misfits, mediocre reserve drivers to have a horde of them for the future. So I think he's uh,
0: sending Nutella Boy to to go get his NBA also.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Before we uh before we get fully off track here, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the qualifying format, uh, because this was a huge shakeup. Uh, a lot of talk around it. It's the first time I think this has been done where, um, you know, they force everybody on Q three, uh, to go on to hards. You know, Q two on the mediums and Q one for softs, and. All- no,
0: I think, I think it's opposite, Chris. I think it's Q1, hards, oh. Q2, mediums, Q3, softs.
1: I totally just botched that completely. <laughs> but yes, exactly what you said. So... Yeah. Um, I, um,
0: I really liked it. I think it did two things, right? I think one, it introduced uh, a format uh, that, that, that makes sense. You know, like if you want to qualify, you know, you can save your tires, but then also test out every single one of those tires in uh, qualifying, so you can see how each car uh, kind of uh, uh, performs against those tires. It, there is a bit of a stock car component, right? Where all, where every single car has to have a, the same component for it. Uh, so that I think there's a part there that really helps. Um, I think it also helps as they're switching from Pirelli to Bridgestone. And, you know, I, I'm not a big tire expert here. I'm kind of learning as I go along but it, it, it'll it probably give F1 a chance to showcase all of those Bridgestone tires against one another. It gives the audience an easier way to kind of track um, those tire usage, get a little bit more educated on those tires and what impact they have on a car and, and, and a race. And then also, you know, the, the, the progression from hard, medium to soft. I think there's a cool aspect to where you earn you know, like your way into the fastest tires, right? Like w- when you're in Q3, like like you earned your way to, to to kind of probably set those fastest laps. So as qualifying goes on, as an audience, you can expect faster and faster times, which I think is a really great way to present um, present this kind of format, right? So I re- I was a really big fan. I really liked it. You know, I think it helped <laughs> Lewis get into that Q1 position um, where where Mercedes probably doesn't. Do the best job at qualifying, uh, week in week out. So uh, I was a big fan. I think I, I think they, they really struck something here with um with the new format. What are your thoughts, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean I was not skeptical going in, but I was I was interested in sort of the outcome because the whole idea of qualifying is taking cars to their absolute limit and sometimes going slightly over that limit and doing some incredible things like that lap that never was and with Max uh and Jeddah. And uh, just putting that car on rails as much as possible. And to try to do that on like cold, hard tires is a risky endeavor. I mean, I was kind of expecting the like there to be more spin outs, there to be more crashes or something eventful happening, trying to put cars on the limit on on hard tires. Um, But ultimately, I did. I enjoyed it. I think it gave us a little bit of a shakeup. With uh, maybe cars that are able to heat tires up a little faster and be a little bit better, you know, seeing a little bit better performance from some of the midfielders, like Danny getting into Q two, um, maybe maybe the AlphaTauri just heats up those tires a little bit better on the hards. So yeah, I think ultimately, like you said, um, adds a little bit of excitement to it. The times are getting faster, you're getting a little bit of a shake up in the sport, and everyone kind of has to have the same uh, strategy going into it with what kind of tires they're going to be using and how many tires they have available to them over the weekend. So ultimately, I think it was a good uh, change that was completely unexpected. I mean, I think the they intended to make this change at Imola. That race never happened. So I think it got delayed till now. So, um, you know, we only had a sample size of one, but I'm definitely interested to see uh, what happens uh, on this going forward. Uh, and speaking of going forward, uh, we have another sprint race weekend coming up. We've had a lot of racing in July uh, and spas next week. So I'm excited about that. How about you?
0: Yeah, no, excited for spa. It's one of the most dangerous tracks, but also one of the most fun. Uh, just a quick note from Fernando in, uh in, in, from past um, races, you know, quote, you come into the corner downhill, have a sudden change of direction at the bottom, and then go very steep uphill from the cockpit. You cannot see the exit as you come over the crest. You don't know where you will land is a crucial corner for the time lap. And also in the race, because you have a long uphill straight afterwards where you can lose a lot of time. If you can if you make a mistake, but it's also important corner for the driver's feelings and make a special impression every lap because you always have a compression in your body. As you go through the bottom of the corner, it's very strange, but good fun as well. Uh, that is probably the best way to put that track in my opinion is is dangerous visibility in those sharp corners isn't always the best but you have to have a that's why you walk the tracks of the driver and you do a lot of simulations is that you you should know it like the back of your hands uh i'm super excited for it um you know especially seeing how mclaren and uh you know mercedes are, are coming up, how they're performing right now i think it'll be a really fun race to watch
1: yeah, I mean this like you know we we just sadly lost uh the 18-year-old driver there a few a few weeks ago and um you know we've lost a few people on this on this uh track especially in this turn but uh it's one of the most iconic tracks in the sport. It's one of the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Formula 1 is El Rouge de Radion and um in, in that long straight and it's just you know it's iconic we've had a lot of big shunts there. Hopefully, uh, I, I think the the danger comes from like the drivers not respecting uh, the flags and things like that. So hopefully we can find ways around that to improve uh, people slowing down faster. But I'm excited. It's a great track. It's a great race. Um, I think there will be some, you know, remembrance when we're on the track for, for the people that have been lost as, as we do every year. But um, it's one of those races that I do hope never leaves the calendar. I know there's been some talk about that. But it's a uh, it's iconic. It's a great track, so I'm definitely excited for it. And uh, it's a sprint race, so we'll get a lot of racing on it over the weekend. Um, but yeah, like who are your uh, who are your predictions?
0: Yeah, I think uh, for this upcoming week, I got Max in P one, Norris in P two, and then I think kind of given how Signs was performing today, even though he wasn't really able to pull out uh, a podium or anywhere near podium, I think Signs would be kind of battling for that that uh third place uh especially given the the fact that you know they've been showing some some good straight line speed so you know toss up there if it's not signed I'll probably get Lewis Hamilton in there.
1: Yeah I uh I'm agree I'm agreeing with you. I mean I'm never gonna not put Max on first until there's a reason otherwise and I want Norris to continue a string of podiums. And I think uh I think without the damage on his car today, Piastri might have been able to secure that podium. So Hopefully, third time's a charm, and we'll get him uh, standing on his first podium of his F1 career and his rookie year. And I kind of want to see that happen. So uh, it's going to be a good track for it. I think the car is fast and a straight line. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put Piestri's there. Uh, obviously, Mercedes is always a possibility as well. But uh, I kind of want to see Oscar stand on the podium.
0: All right, then. Well, We'll see what the outcome is uh, at the end of next Sunday's race. Um, stay tuned for for our thoughts after that race. Chris, anything else before we uh, head out here?
1: Yeah, I'm just uh, slightly sad that we're going to have uh, kind of four weeks off. And, you know, I was excited about a little bit of silly season uh, and having a little discussion about that. Unfortunately, you know, we've already gotten DeVries out of the sea. Danny Rick's already back we're already talking about, you know, Checo's been confirmed in the seat, so we'll see what kind of uh, other big shakeups are left in the sport, but um
0: yeah, maybe after- a silly season episode from us uh during the break.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh looking forward to it. Um but until then we got one. we got another race before then, so let's enjoy it for what it is and I think we're going to have a good good back half of the season going into it.
0: All right, all right. Yep. Well, with that much love to everyone out there. Have a good rest of your week and we'll see you after Belgium.
1: And we'll see you after spa. Thanks, guys.